0: Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen, as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hi. Well, you know what? It's the holidays again. And as you heard last week, and if you didn't hear my podcast last week, you might want to tune in because we talked about the idea of bad bosses. So this is just moving into another area It's not necessarily about bad bosses, but this podcast is really about bad cultures and how to deal with this idea of how do we make diversity, equity, and inclusion a real part of our strategy for managing people rather than an add-on. In addition, this is another one of those opportunities where you, the listeners, actually are shaping the podcast questions and what we talk about and where we're going forward. I so love the fact that you are now asking me questions that we can talk about in this format. So with that, I want to encourage you to continue to do it. As some of you may have heard by now, one of the things we're doing is we're switching up the, the website so that this year, 2022, we're now going to be much more interactive. We are going to be curating content that you've asked for and that we see in our coaching practices, in our leadership practice, in our team development practice. What is it that you need, leaders need, employees need, organizations need that are going to build strong, healthy, results-oriented, inclusive workplaces? So with that, let's start the podcast.
1: Hey, Alexa. Hi, Denise. So happy to be here with you today. How's it going? I
0: can't believe we're doing this again. I'm so excited. People are sending stuff to us and asking us questions. This is so much fun.
1: Yes, I'm really excited personally for our topic today. I think there's a lot of nuance. I know this is something that you and I have talked about at length in the past, and I think our audience is really going to enjoy it. But before we get into the meat of the conversation, Denise, tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is. Wow. Thank
0: you so much, Alexa, for reminding me it is important to kind of talk a little bit about where you come from so that people can connect to you on a deeper level. I have such a, a blessed background that I have had the opportunity to work with some of the most extraordinary leaders and I've learned to take away from them what does that look like. But let me tell you, for those who are listening, what do I do right now? You know, my, what I love doing is inspiring executives and I know primarily women and people of color in corporate spaces to lead by design and not by default, where they can increase the capacity of their people, their teams, and organizations to cohesively work together and achieve remarkable results. After all, our work is not just a job. It's our legacy. It's what we give as a gift to the world. You know, people working with me learn to lead with intention, taking any obstacle that they think they see in a way and turn it into an opportunity to thrive. That's what I learned those are the essential skills that I learn from other leaders. And I've had the opportunity, to, as I said, to work in both corporate spaces, for government organizations, unions, just a lot of people. But in essence, each and every one of the best bosses, the best leaders that I've read about, I've, taught, I've learned from and who worked with me and I work with them, is that they are able to help people understand that their job is more than a job. It's part of a career, a part of a pattern of things that they've done that leaves a legacy and that they ought to be proud about the legacy that they leave. Leading is, is more than a privilege. It is a way in which people can leave a mark. You know, let me say it a different way. My mother used to tell me all the time that you should leave a place better than the way you found it. That's what leadership does. We should all be thinking about how do we leave? our spaces, whatever the puzzle piece is that we play in life, better than the way we found it. And we should be clear about what that is. And so I've had that opportunity to do it for a myriad of companies, including somebody asked me the other day if I was into, if I had ever done mergers and acquisitions. And there was a time when my job was to do all companies that were acquired by the primary company the corporation, my job was to go in figure out what their secret sauce was as a company, as an organization, hold space for that, but help them incorporate into the mainframe of the corporation. So I've done it from individual people. I've done it with people in teams. I've been a leader myself, as well as I've had to go in and figure out what, what makes an organization really special and how they can deliver that better and yet still be part of a bigger plan.
1: That's amazing, Denise. I know you've done a lot in your career, and I'm sure this topic comes up often with clients as well. What do you do once trust gets broken in an organization or in a working relationship? On both sides, what do you do?
0: Well, you know, we talk about that in the book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results One Time. One conversation at a time. And so it's kind of filled with the, just that kind of scenario, right? But I think the essence of it is, is that we have to understand what what is trust. Trust is my ability to believe that I know what you're going to do and how you're going to respond in the circumstances that we meet. And that I can trust that whatever you say, I can depend on whatever you tell me is as accurate as possible. And if you cannot do what you said you're going to be able to do, that you will come back and I won't be surprised. You'll be the one to tell me. I think too often that we have gotten into a habit of either not paying attention to what we say we're going to do, or when we find ourselves unable to do what we said we were going to do, we kind of gloss over it or try to hide it. And what we don't recognize as much and what I call the reality of it is, is, we live in a really polite society, right? And everybody's taught to be fake nice. It starts when we're children. And each of you just think about to that time when you were in a grocery store, you were talking about a kid or maybe you were talking about a relative. I happen to be talking about somebody that I saw on the street. And I remember saying, "Ooh, that's an ugly dress that woman had on. And my mother snatched me up and said, don't you ever say that again. That was the truth. The dress was not flattering to that person. I remember, you know, hearing from my friends, hearing from my parents. Someone would call. They didn't want to talk to them. And the first thing they tell me to say is tell them I'm not here. You know, so we we're taught to be nice through deception, through not telling the truth. And we carry that over in the workplaces. And then we wonder why people feel a bit of distance from us, like I can't trust you. And so that's what we've learned as a defensive mechanism. When it happens, the thing we have to do is remember that it's not the issue. So I don't trust you because You told me you were going to complete that work project. What makes me not trust you is that you told me you didn't come back and give me an opportunity to adjust my behavior, my expectations, because something happened with you. I don't trust you because you didn't give me the opportunity to even help you keep your word. So how does that show up and work? So, you know, I've had clients. What happens is, is that I don't trust that this person, I sat down with the supervisor. They told me that they were going to enforce our new policy of you know, hybrid working or coming to work on time with that employee. And then later I find out that they didn't talk to them about it. Not talking to the person is not the problem. The fact that I had to find out from someone else that you didn't do it, that's what makes me feel like you're gonna hide things. And if you're gonna hide things, then I can't predict what you're going to be able to do. And if I can't predict what you're going to do, then I can't trust you. That's the piece that is it. So when you feel like trust is broken, the first thing you have to deal with is not the issue at hand, the example. And that's one of the things they teach you in good supervisory school is bring good examples to it. It's not the example that broke trust. It's the fact that you thought you had an agreement And now you find out that that agreement wasn't the real agreement and that you didn't tell me in time that I could do something. Because what employees don't understand is maybe your supervisor is not the one that can help you, but that supervisor's supervisor, if they're honest, they may be able to do something that we could have mitigated the problem before it got to be a big problem. And by not telling it now makes us feel like we have no control. We can't predict. And therefore, I can't trust the people in front of me.
1: Right. And so what I'm hearing from you is that people like having control in the workplace. Is that right?
0: And, And control comes from predictability, right? So it's not so much the way we think of control from the old paradigm of I tell you what to do, therefore, you're going to do it. It's predictability. So that's what people want is we all want it. It's not just supervisors. We all want to know that we can predict if we if we take this action, we're going to get that outcome. Now, that's really hard because circumstances change in a moment. And the only thing that is permanent is change. But we also want to feel like there are realms of our life that we can predict if we make a decision that there's a high likelihood that we're going to be able to execute on that decision.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Denise. And I'm curious to know from your perspective and having worked with so many different organizations and clients from all different types of companies, what have you seen in terms of why people are hesitant when it comes to trusting their teams or trusting their supervisor?
0: Both of them probably stem from the same thing. They've had an experience in the past that leads them to believe that the way things are showing up right this moment they don't trust that the outcome is going to be what they want it to be. And so something has happened that my paradigm, my way of thinking says there's something wrong, and the likelihood it is, is I'm not going to get there. And so that's really the genesis of us lacking trust. Faith on the other side is believing that just because you don't do what I think is the right thing, we have enough agreement, we have enough of a connection that you'll do it your way and we'll still get the outcome that we want.
1: Definitely. And that kind of leads me into, into a slightly related topic, this idea of restorative justice. Denise, I know you and I have talked about the idea of redemptive justice, this idea that anyone can create harm in an organization. And it's less about the fact that we all create harm and more about how do we move past that? How do we Give each other permission to continue evolving the trust that we place in other people to get better and grow, basically. And I, I almost wonder, from your perspective, what does that restoration process look like?
0: Yeah, Our conversation, just for those who haven't been sitting secretly listening, comes from a place of, you know, why hasn't this idea of diversity, collusion and equity? gotten further along. And why do we still have reports like the one from the World Economic Forum saying it'll take 256 years before women reach equality? What what is the genesis of, you know, we've been doing diversity training for well over 50, 60 years, and we still are at the same question over and over and over again. So what's wrong with that? And you and I have had conversations as well as with my clients that primary reason why I believe, and it's now as you read some of the newer literature, the newer ideas about how change happens in organizations, it is because we don't recognize how long it takes people to change. and What is the process of moving through change and how do we hold people accountable for changing, not just delivering results? How do we measure it in an organization? How we measure it in other people? What do we look for? To know that a person is actually shifting their thinking as well as getting the skills so that they can deliver a different way, a new paradigm, a new project, innovation, however, you know, whatever that change is on the other end. And in this area of DEI, one of the things that I've wrestled with a lot, because now people are calling and asking me to get involved in this, their idea and their their desire to have a more inclusive workplace is that much of the way we had been training people in diversity and equity dealt with things like listening circles or caucuses or getting people in rooms and kind of talking about what their experience has been, how history needs to be added, what parts of history that we just said we're not going to pay attention to, while we promoted other parts of history. That's the question around critical race theory. It's not really being critical of our race, of our country, It's the essence of it is how do we add to the story to show the true nature of what has actually happened? How do we get better at telling the true story from a place of being more expansive and broader? Yes, Christopher Columbus got here from a European point of view, from the Spanish point of view, English point of view. Yeah, maybe they did, quote unquote, discover the land, but it doesn't mean that they Discovered America. They just found out that there was an America, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from a conqueror's point of view, you know, who's focused on acquiring land and possessions, you know, coming here was all about an idea of how do we expand our empire, expand our possessions, etc. So it's not so much about that, but it is about having a full conversation about who that person was, where he came from, where the ideas came from. And it's the same about the Civil War. It's about, you know, how many women actually contributed through each of the wars. You know, the women bombers, the women flyers, the women nurses, the women combat soldiers, et cetera, and including their stories in the full picture of history. The contribution of Native Americans, indigenous people, the contribution of Black people or Chinese people or, you know, Colombian people, people who have different ethnic backgrounds, Irish, et cetera, and how that creates a much fuller, much richer picture. Well, it's the same thing that we're trying to do in our workplaces. We shouldn't be doing it, in my opinion, along lines of race, but we should be focusing on how do we find inclusion for everyone? How do we allow everyone, regardless of their background, their ethnicity, their gender, their whatever you see as a difference between it, including their situation? Whether you're a divorced person, you know, should we stop with the pink tax? You know, all of those things that marginalize or pushed upon one group and not and another group out of it. So that's the idea. And so my idea is moving from diversity, equity, and inclusion to an idea of we should be looking to create humanity which is how do, we, how do we celebrate and operationalize the differences we all bring to the table and that we seek out people with different perspectives, different experiences, and that we don't see good as having a more homogenous workplace. We don't want everybody from you know, Harvard, Yale, and we don't wanna value people who went to college over people who might've learned it actually doing the work, you know, and have learned how to do it, you know, maybe they're coders because, you know, when they were 15 or 16 years old, they just loved it. And they just started taking apart computers and code and started putting it all together. Those people should have as much respect for what they do and what they bring to the table as those people who went to college and only studied it and haven't delivered a fully baked set of codes, right? So that's the idea of humanity. What does it look like if we allow people who have done things in very different ways, but still can get to the result in there and show up? How do we bring people who have no experience in the area, but may have been successful in another? How can we take their complementary skills and bring them in? Yes, it means that we'd have to change the way we think of our HR systems and our way, not HR as in a function, but the way we think about people, the way we measure value that people bring into the organization. We have to rethink those kinds of things. And we certainly have to bring, when we're introducing people, bringing orientation and thinking about assimilation, we have to begin to think about it from a very different point of view. It's not assimilating into one culture, but how do we take it so that we have one mindset, but many ways of thinking about it, of being, of allowing people to work, and that we begin to judge people on the, results that they deliver rather than the way they deliver it now there's a caveat on the way the caveat on the way a person delivers has to be that it can't be hurtful spiteful and it can't be intentionally mean and destructive right but your second part of the question is is what do I do with someone who does bring harm to the workplace right right and so now the question becomes are they bringing harm intentionally or unintentionally and should we care? One of the things I teach all the time is we have to remember that intention is invisible. No one intends to wake up in the morning to do harm to another person out of the blue. They all feel like they're justified in doing it, but their natural inclination is not to come and start harm in the workplace or in their relationships. So something happened to cause that. But aside from that, my intention might be to do good to be a good leader, to make sure the work gets done, to be an employee, to deliver value to those customers, et cetera. But my behavior doesn't match the story of my intention because impact is defined by how your behavior affects other people. That's why everybody can be a leader. It's not about your title because we're every day we're teaching each other how to be with each other. And trust me, if I see you lying and calling names and talking bad about somebody else. Subconsciously, I know when I'm not in the room, you're doing the same
1: thing about me. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't trust like that. Yeah. You know, and so no matter how smiley you get with that person, out the side of your head, you're going, yeah, now what are you saying about me?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, completely. And I mean, Denise, I almost, the place that my mind goes is I'm sure you found yourself in this situation before where someone has hurt you in the workplace and you're left with the decision of, okay, like, do I forgive them and move past this? Do I not forgive them and move past this? You know, and I guess it depends on how severe like the harm is, but I'm curious to know your personal process. How do you know when it's time to forgive someone and to re-extend trust to them in the future? Because I know in some situations, you know, it may not be worth it personally to extend that forgiveness. It's two parts. One is,
0: you're right, there's some harm that people can do that it's going to take a long time for me to forget. Forgiveness as Hundreds of way smarter people than I have has always been, we have to remember, we should forgive someone that they did harm unintentionally, right? So if I believe that you did it and didn't intend to it, but yet you own up to it, hey, Alexa, I really didn't mean to harm you. I really didn't mean to you know, cause you any pain, et cetera. I can trust that at this moment, you really do mean that. And I can even let go of the fact that you might only be saying that because you got caught, you know, which is the big deal, right? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, that the only reason why you're apologizing now is because you got caught. I can get past that and say, all right, in this moment, you do mean it. I don't really have to care about your reasons why you're confronting me, but you have, you know, made an effort to do it. So I can forgive you for that. Harder is me forgiving myself for putting myself in a position where you could harm me. Sometimes that's the real problem in the situation. But say that's not it. Say it really is this person has done something, you know, they, you know, I had a guy leader actually who set me up in his team, you know, one of the first or second weeks that I was on the job, he had everybody there, 21 men, I'm the only woman, I'm the only black person in the room too, and each and every one of them got to tell me how devastatingly bad My HR function was. And I mean, they meant no words in terms of doing it. I was subjected to that for two hours. That's That's insane. That's abusive. So the question becomes in that situation, can I forgive that person? I didn't handle it as well as I could have, mainly because I didn't trust this person was going to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. Did they apologize when I said that was abusive and that was inappropriate? Yes. Absolutely. Did I believe that their behavior going forward was going to change? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. I will restore my trust in you if I believe that you are making a sincere effort to not do harm in the future. That's why I can forgive you. And then the next things are confirm and verify. Confirm and verify that. You are learning how to be better.
1: I really like the idea of verification. And I just want to take a step back and and go back to something that you just said, that how in situations where you've been hurt by other people, your instinct is almost to be like upset with yourself for allowing that harm to happen. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So again, we
0: really want to think that, you know, we had an agreement. We trusted this person. And sometimes, you know, we got two things. So remember I said earlier that I'm really thinking about, you're teaching me how to be with you. And I'm really thinking about how you behave with other people. And that gives me signals how you're going to behave with me. So I won't forgive myself if you and I are, you know, buddies and we're, you know, right there with each other. And we called ourselves friends and I've watched you demonize, degrade and demean other people and didn't believe that you would do that to me. And then I get caught finding out through the gossip or someone else tells me that you're demonizing, demeaning and degrading about me and my behavior behind my back. That will send me into a mental process of how could I be so stupid? How could I have trusted Mm -hmm. that person? And so now I'm not, I'm angry at that person, but I'm far more disappointed with my own behavior Because you were being who you are with other people. And somehow I thought you wouldn't be that person with me.
1: Right. And I mean, I feel like sometimes that those emotions directed inward are more difficult to resolve than if it were just talking to another person. Oh, absolutely. Because I think it it calls for us to grow and to choose differently next time. You know, it it just points out an area that we may not have considered before.
0: Yeah. And it's the other coin of accountability. Right. We all say we want accountability. We want our bosses to be accountable. Our bosses want us to be accountable for things. But in accountability, it's a two way street. I have to acknowledge the brutal facts. Jim Collins talked about the brutal reality in his book, Good to Great. And one of the things, and I know people have all kinds of opinions because some of many of the companies in good to great didn't make it to the great for long, for sustainability. But what he said was absolutely true. One of the things that when you see yourself in your performance and not achieving your goals, one of the main reasons that is true is because in the goal setting process, you have to have not just what the vision is of what you want, not just saying what would be different if I achieved it but you've got to stand back and you've got to say, what are the things that are most likely to happen that will stop me from doing it? And oftentimes we kind of focus a little bit too much on the, I can overcome anything. I'll figure it out when I get there. And then we get there and we don't have a plan for dealing with how life sometimes gets in the way of us doing what we said we were going to do. We haven't thoughts from a perspective of what will I do? What does that mean to me and my soul, my vision of who I am if I don't overcome this particular obstacle? And the first thing that happens when you see an obstacle that gets really in the way of what you want to do is we freeze because we were shocked because we start judging ourselves. That's the mental process that some people go through when you see something that happened that didn't do it. And then you get back on your feet. But And some people don't get back on their feet because they're so disappointed that they didn't see the obstacle and they can't figure out how to get through that.
1: Right. I mean, I feel like those are all very heavy-handed emotions for sure. And I I kind of wonder, too, in the context of diversity and inclusion, there are situations where you might be working with someone who is just very new to all of it. You know, they they might come from a background where they just haven't been around people who are different from them. They've surrounded themselves with people who think like them, who look like them, and it's it's affected their decision-making skills and, you know, Denise, in those situations, I find that that's often where harm occurs because people are saying things that are just not not informed you know and it ends up being harmful for the people around them. Let's pause there. Yeah.
0: What would somebody say? You know, what's been your experience of someone who is uninformed as you said?
1: Yeah, well, I think one thing that comes to mind for me is the idea that diversity and inclusion work is giving certain people special privileges mm-hmm. when in reality it's not that at all. It's about ensuring that there is equal access regardless of Social identities, you know? And so when someone comes out of the gate with something like that, it's like, oof, like how (laughs) we have to work together now, right? Like we're working on this together. How do I trust someone like that after they display their values in that way? Well, there's
0: an interesting thing that happens. So, you know, my neighbor is someone who often doesn't speak in a way that is inclusive right? And pits one group against another, feels women have a specific place. In having to keep good relationships with her, I've had to learn how to navigate and have her know that I am a very different person. And and over time, that help her understand the harm that she's doing when she lumps everybody into a group. So we'll do things like, yeah, well, you know what, you may not like people from Mexico, but you also don't like us lumping you in with poor white people. How do you feel when people categorize you that? Well, that's the same harm that you're doing for someone else. Now, in the workplace, because we do have a hierarchy, and whether you like it or not, the CEO is the king or queen, and they can pretty much stop the show out of uh, going forward. But everybody else has to collaborate in a way to make those goals happen. And I think we have to understand the power of collaboration, the power of co-creation, and what really creates innovation and keeps processes going. And it is being able to figure out ways that people who don't look like you, sound like you, have a different education, may even be crude. If you don't have the power to say they don't belong, so you're an employee or they're in a different group and you don't have that power, then you, what you have to do is hold the mirror up on who are we. What are the things that we value and why do we allow it? And I think it also behooves the leader, whoever the CEO, the executive director of that organization. They've got to take a position that says that in this workplace, we're going to treat each other with respect, even if we disagree with the idea that is presented. That we can talk about any idea that we want to, but we cannot personalize it. And it's not okay if you want to work here and you want to say, those people are not da-da-da-da-da, fill in the blank, then maybe this that leader and that HR department really has to have a process that says, we love you and you don't belong. Go someplace else.
1: I could not have said that better myself, Denise. I think that that's a really great point. And... I mean, again, there are people who are listening who are not on the employee side. They're on the employer side. When should a leader know that it's time to to let someone go, that they've just crossed the line one too many times? Well, look, stop right there.
0: Yeah. They've crossed the line one too many times.
1: That's the definition.
0: If I have talked to you, you've given me agreement that you understand and that you're going to change your behavior and you keep doing it, what is different about that than somebody who says, I'm going to continue to do my work tasks. I'm going to continue to give customer service. I'm going to continue to deliver on these goals. And repeatedly, they don't deliver on those goals. What's the difference? So you define, you just define the point of it's time
1: to cut bait. Right. And I mean, like, like we talked about in the last podcast, it's being able to follow through. I think it's knowing when to put your foot down and realizing that those boundaries have been crossed because you can't just keep giving people second chance after second chance because you're just going to end up burning out the rest of your workforce, right? Not only burning them out, but what happens is, is I don't believe you. And so now
0: I fill in the blank with that's a favoritism. You don't really mean it. If you don't mean this, you don't mean this. And I start looking for places where you're insincere. Or powerless to affect change in line with what you're telling me.
1: Why should I give you more? Wow. I can't help but wonder how many people have left their workplaces this year for this exact reason.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, look at TikTok, look at Instagram, look at Facebook, whatever you want to do. There's so many videos of employees who have walked off the job because, you know, the latest one I saw was with Popeyes, the guy. Came in, he, was, he delivers the chicken that's gonna be cooked for the next day. He's a delivery person. He walks in, he bangs on the, the tables and everything and 15 rats show up. Oh my God. Scattering around in the light, et cetera. Now, you're not gonna make me believe that not just him, he's the delivery, a contract person who is saying this is it and makes a video of it. You're not gonna tell me that the employees have not said this is a problem and no one paid attention to it. Every time someone does an audacious thing, such as walk off the job, close down a shop, has a boycott, it isn't because that's the first resort. That's the last resort, because it takes a lot for somebody to say, I'm just going to publicize that. I don't care what people say about social media. We walk around with our cameras. Everybody's filming it. No, they film it because ultimately in the workplace, we know we have to get along. And so if I'm going to embarrass you to the point where I'm going to tell people outside of the company, you can bet money that there's a story inside the company that they have tried to tell somebody, no one listened, and they thought this was the last result.
1: Amen. Absolutely. Well, Denise, we're coming to the end of our conversation here. I'm hoping you can close us out by sharing a little bit about, in your experience, what is the difference between forgiveness and redemption? when it comes to workplace harm?
0: It's the same thing. So it's a part of the process. I can forgive you for making a mistake. I can forgive you for doing harm, but redemption, the ability to restore my trust only comes when you have consistent behavior that demonstrates to me that you're changing, that you're not going to do it again. Trust is based on my ability to predict that you are going to act in a certain way, not just the words you say, But the actions you say, when we look at study after study, studies coming back out of the 1960s and and 50s, et cetera, 93 percent of communication, which is the basis of trust, comes from what your tone and your behavior, not your words. I can forgive you because the words you say, that's 7 percent of believability. The other 93 percent comes from how you your tone and your behavior. And if your behavior is the same as before, I recognize and said, i I heard your words that you want me to forgive you, that you are sorry, but your behavior doesn't change and your tone doesn't change or what you say and do, there is no redemption.
1: Thank you, Denise. I really appreciate our conversation today. Like I said, this is a very nuanced topic, and I think you really did it justice. Forgiveness is a hard thing. <laughs> It does not come easy, especially in a workplace situation. Forgiveness does. Redemption doesn't. Mm -hmm. You
0: can tell me I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You can tell me that I won't do it again. And I can go, okay, clean slate. And I will not redeem. I will not restore our trust level until your behavior and your tone demonstrate over time Confirm and verify mm-hmm. that you truly have changed. Redemption is about change. Forgiveness is for me to let go of the mess that you created, the impact of it. So it doesn't harm mm-hmm. me anymore. But do I trust you? Ah, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a whole different. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's way different. And trust is the basis of engagement. So if you want higher engagement, work on trust, work on redemption.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Denise. Where can our audience keep up with you?
0: Everywhere and nowhere, right? <laughs> Clearly, the easiest place is LinkedIn. It's just kind of a portal. I, we publish on a regular basis, all kinds of thoughts. Such as the ones you've heard. And then the podcast comes out every Thursday. Please follow if you liked anything about this, you know, follow us on LinkedIn. But you can also see our Instagram, you can see our Twitter page, you can see, you know, all kinds of things. And in January, we're going to have a new website up, one that we want you to help co-create. So if you found value in this week's podcast and last week's podcast, please sign up so that you can send us questions. You can be part of us co-creating a whole different way of being in the workplace because what i believe we should be working on is humanity equity and inclusion we should be finding ways in which all of us regardless of what our backgrounds are regardless of who we are where we came from what what our identity is we need to learn together how to be with people who are not like us that's what inclusion means and equity is making sure that everybody has what they need to be able to do and that they own, their own development, so that we can co-create something better than where we stand right now.
1: Thank you so much, Denise. And thank you for everyone who tuned in. If you want to
0: comment on it, we hope that you will comment in the sections below or send us an email, tag me in LinkedIn. But you know what? We just want to hear from you. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it because I promise you're going to get a conversation that will open you up and hopefully teach you about forgiveness and redemption. And with that, see ya! That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.